This is Chad Harrison, and you're listening to Hope Alive, applying God's word to your daily life. Hi, this is Chad Harrison, and I am the teaching pastor of Lake Community Church and have been serving as a pastor for 25 years. I'm also a practicing attorney. This podcast is designed to help you study God's word and find God's will for your life. I pray in the name of Jesus right now that God would open up his word to you and allow you to see him and to know him and to know his will, that you might glorify him and that you might walk in faith and power each and every day, especially today in Jesus' name. This is a passage of scripture that is is one of those passages that you find in the book of Genesis that is, it's weird. It's, it, we don't really, you can look at it in all different kinds of ways. You can look at it and try to interpret it and draw meaning and importance out of it from um, from the symbology. You can look at it and try to draw meaning out of it from from the different aspects of what we get from the rest of scriptures for as as far as what's dealt with here, you can look deep into the language and try to figure out exactly what the language is telling us. That, like I said before, it is just it is one of those strange passages in the Bible. It's not strange in that it's bad. It's just strange in that in that you can do so much with it, and yet you leave not sure that you got everything you wanted to out of it, or even got even close to what you wanted to out of it. You you kind of leave sometimes thinking, maybe I missed something. And maybe that's what it is all about ultimately anyway, is as you're, as you're thinking through this passage, you leave it thinking, there's, got, there's something more that I'm not getting out of this. And uh, so let's look at it. It says, now the sons of Noah, and remember God came to the son, to Noah and his sons and blessed them. Remember that covenant that was made with Noah was made with not only Noah, but it was made with his sons. It's important. It wasn't just a Noahic covenant. It was a covenant made with all those who trusted God and went through this process of building this ark and the process of obviously the flood and coming out on the other side. It says, now the sons of Noah who went out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and and, and when you when you think of the Jewish people and when you think of Abraham and what's to come, he comes from the line of Shem, or he is a that's where they get the word Semite. It is it is not just it's not just Jews that are Semites. There's many other nations that are Semites, but Abraham came from the line of Shem. And it says these were the sons of Noah from these and it says and Ham was the father. And finally when it says those three. Then it says, and Ham was the father of Canaan. And that is interesting right there because he's the only one that's mentioned as having a son of the group. Now they do have all have sons and they don't all have children and uh, they do repopulate the earth. But for some reason, Canaan, and when you think of Canaan, that is, that is the Canaan of Canaan land. That is the Canaan of the Canaanites. When you think of, when you think of this group, Canaan is the one that's mentioned. Canaan is the group that is, that is mentioned here. And none of the other sons, none of the other sons are mentioned. So it says these three were the sons of Noah. And from these, the whole earth was populated. Now it clearly states that from these three families, the three couples, the whole earth was populated. And it says, Noah began to be a farmer. 
and planted a vineyard. Immediately when I see that and I read that, there's two things that jump out at me. The first thing is that if you'll remember all the way back to the story of Cain and Abel, Cain was a farmer and Cain brought of the fruit of the field and Abel brought an offering of a sacrifice offering that had to do with, with animal sacrifice, the shedding of blood. And God accepted Abel's offering, but he rejected Cain's offering. And a lot of people have always surmised that that means that God was more into more into what Abel did rather than what Cain did for a living. And that's not true. It's not true. And the way I know that is because Noah is a man of faith here in Scripture. He's quite clearly a man of faith here in Scripture. And he planted a vineyard. And so he it says, and Noah began to be a farmer. So what does that say Noah did? Noah needed a new job when he got off the ark. Why? Because for the last hundred years, he'd been a boat builder and a big boat builder, not just a boat builder, but a huge boat builder. And when Noah began to farm, that was his new profession. And uh, nothing negative is said about it. Notice that he plants a vineyard. Now, if you think that the fruit of the vine, and if you think wine and grapes are negative in scripture, I'm going to tell you, you're going to, you're, if you do your study, you're going to find that's just not true. It's just absolutely not true. In fact, one of the blessings that got, that God gave the children of Israel when they went into the promised land and they inhabited the villages and the towns and the cities, Canaanites, as they took them, they got to, got the advantage of having their fields already plowed. <clears throat> their vineyards already planted. So what does that mean? That means that uh, that God didn't tell them to go in there and tear up the vineyards because we don't want any wine. In fact, first you got to get this. Jesus's first his first miracle was turning water into wine, and he didn't turn it into grape juice. And anybody who tells you just doesn't have a very good understanding of either scripture or the or the words that are used in the Greek there. Because the reaction of the people that are in charge of the wedding is that it is the best wine. It's not the it's not the worst wine. He produces a good, really good wine. And why wouldn't Jesus? Because he's Jesus. And that's not the case. And in fact, wine in Scripture is a symbol of the goodness of God. It's a symbol of his faithfulness to us. It's a symbol of his, his giving of his very best. And Jesus said he wouldn't drink of the fruit of the vine until we were together with him. But now, that being said, there is another element to it that needs to be understood. The Bible says, do not be drunk with much wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And so even though alcohol quite clearly is not forbidden in Scripture, it's also it's also not, not good for you to be drunk with wine on a regular basis, to have so much wine that you're out of control. And let me tell you, it has physical, it has physical ramifications for us. It has all kinds of ramifications for us that we need to understand and we need to understand fully. Well, oftentimes now that I've been an attorney for a good long while, people will come to me and say, which is worse, a smoking pot or, or drinking alcohol? And it's quite clearly that that the consumption of alcohol to drunkenness is far has far more negative effects than than marijuana does. Now, am I advocating for marijuana? No, but I'm not, what I'm saying to you is that the goodness of God, if that's all we're seeking after, is the goodness of God, and we're not ever seeking out the purposes of God, which ultimately which ultimately are are at times difficult and at times painful. Jesus, when he said 
to follow him, he didn't say, take up your wine bottle and follow me. He said, take up your cross and follow me. And so many times Christians, when, and let me tell you something, our modern day church sells this and it sells this, by the way, I'm not going to finish this in any time, any way this today, but in our modern day culture, we want to sell, if you really think about it, we want to sell for the church, how good it is to be in church in the sense of you're never going to be, you're never going to feel uncomfortable. It's always going to be happy and fun and you're going to leave joy, joyful and filled up and nothing ever is going to be painful or difficult in the Christian life. And we like to sell that as a Christian culture today that, that you know, it, it derives from that health and wealth doctrine. But just more importantly, we just want people to feel like the church and following Jesus is going to be fun and easy and not a struggle. And the truth is, that's not the case. And so really what we're doing is, if you want to take the symbolism of wine in, in, in the sense of it being the goodness of God, the pleasantness and the preciousness of God, if you want to take that, we say to people, look, Look, we want you to we want you to come to church so that you can have all of the wine, but we don't want to deal with the other two aspects of the Holy Spirit's work in the hearts of men, and that's the water and the oil. And the water is the washing of his word, meaning meaning that God cleans us up and changes us. And let me tell you something. Have you ever taken a, a little kid and he's been out and gotten into the mud and the muck and he's been sliding through mud puddles and he's got dirt everywhere from his head to his toe. He's got dirt all in his ears. You ever taken a child like that, and put them in a bathtub and started cleaning them? They don't want all that stuff cleaned off of them. Why? Because it's painful at times. When you turn their head over and try to get the mud out of their ears and take a Q-tip and try to uh, scrape it out of their ears, they don't like that. That's difficult. The washing of the Word of God at times can be uh, very painful. And in our lives, we have sores on us from the world and the world's attacks and the wounds that come. And have you ever poured? Have you ever poured water on a wound and that you just got? Maybe you were out working and you got sweaty and you got hot and you got dirty and then you cut your leg and, and you come inside and we're not talking about a deep cut we're just talking about a scrape of your leg and then you go and get in the shower and boy it stings the reason it stings is because it's cleaning out that dirt it's cleaning out that mess and when we come in the presence of the holy spirit we get the three aspects of the holy spirit we get his cleansing we get his power and we get his goodness okay and oftentimes as a church, oftentimes as believers, we want the goodness of God, the wine of God, the goodness of the Holy Spirit, but we don't want the cleansing of the Holy Spirit. And by the way, in order to get the power of the Holy Spirit, I want you to hear me today because this is important. If you're going to experience the full power of the Holy Spirit in your life, there's only one way that's going to happen. The power of the Holy Spirit comes by faithful obedience to God's revelation. That is the only way you get the power of the Holy Spirit. Hear me today and understand this. It is the only way that you get the power of the Holy Spirit at work in your life is faithful obedience to the revelation of God. Hear me, faithful obedience, not to the law, but to God's revelation to you, faithful obedience to God's revelation to you. Oh, it's the only way 
is the only way you get the power of the Holy Spirit. How, when, what is the symbol of the power of the Holy Spirit at work in the life of Israel? Entering into the promised land. How do they get to the promised land? Being faithfully obedient to God's revelation for them because they didn't want to go in because the giants were in the land and you had to cross the Jordan River and it was at flood stage and you had to attack, attack strongholds like Jericho. And that's difficult and it's hard. And let me tell you, when they crossed over the Jordan River and they circumcised all the men, I'm going to tell you, as a man, I, that, that doesn't seem like that's something that would make me happy about come to church and let's cross over the Jordan River and get circumcised. No, uh, no, that doesn't seem like something that would invite me in. But let's go on a journey and go out and see God on top of a mountain. And then let's go into the promised land and attack a giant city and there are giants in there. I mean, that you, you, if you think about it, just it's funny, but if you think about it in its logical way, it doesn't seem like something I want to do. Who wants to deal with the giants in their life? They want God to just step in and move them out of the way. That doesn't, that didn't work that way. God's placed giants to overcome in your life so that you'll trust him and allow his power to be at work changing you and making you into someone who is a giant slayer who is a powerful person in his kingdom. That's why in the book of the Revelation, he says, has he not, have he, has he not made him a kingdom of priests or kings and priests before him? Why? Because kings are powerful and priests have access to the throne room of heaven. And if you're going to have that, you got to learn to be faithfully obedient and you've got to be cleansed by the Holy Spirit in washing of the water. So when we come in and we want the work of God to be at work in our lives as a church, You've got to want those three things. You can't just want one of them. And what we really want to do is just sometimes come in and be drunk with much wine. But let me tell you something. I think the enjoyment that we get from worship is important, highly important for what we do on Sunday morning as a church and getting together as a body of, as a body of Christ. I think the worship of God, but that's the wine, okay? But just as important is the Word of God. That's the washing. Am I right? It's the word of God that washes us and cleanses us and changes us. So sure, when we come together, we want to sing. And I, and you know, as well as I do, you've seen, I love the singing. I love worship. The reason I love worship is because that's the wine of the goodness of the Holy Spirit. But the reason I love the word is because that's the washing of the Holy Spirit, the water of the Holy Spirit, washing and cleansing us, taking God's word, the full revelation of Jesus Christ and washing us with it. And then what do we do at the end? We come to the altar. And if you'll notice, a lot of times on Sunday morning, the altar will be filled and there'll be people who are crying. And why are they crying? Because, because they're dealing with the power of the Holy Spirit. And the power of the Holy Spirit's changing them. And the power of the Holy Spirit's remaking them. And, and they're dealing with the issues of life and the struggles of life and overcoming those things. And oftentimes they're met with much tears, many tears. And you know what? When you come in and meet God with those tears, those struggles that you have, and the power of the Holy Spirit is at work and it's moving you and it's changing you and it's directing you, when that goes on, that's goodness. So do we always just want to have singing? No, no. Why? Because then you'd be just drunk with much wine, but you wouldn't have any word and you wouldn't have any power. Do we want just the word? Man, I'm going to tell you, if you have just the word without any worship and without any power, it becomes very dry and 
and painful and difficult and a struggle. And by the way, if all you're looking for is the power of the Holy Spirit, but you never have any word and you never have any and you never have any of the wine or the or the worship of God, you know what you have about you have confusion and people acting out crazily and not doing the things that are clearly in scripture about those things. So when you're dealing with the word of God, uh you need to understand that, and I'm using this picture in 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 Genesis chapter nine, but it's important because Noah became a farmer and he began to make a vineyard. And what did he do? He drank the wine and he was drunk and he became uncovered in his tent. And what does that mean? What that meant was that he there's more to there's more to the work of God than just the wine. There's more to the work of the Holy Spirit than just the wine. The work of the Holy Spirit has to be, we have to have the fullness of it. Jesus said, "You, my worshipers are going to worship me in spirit and truth. W- what does that mean? It's not just going to have the spiritual aspects in the sense of worship and in, sense of, in the sense of the time where God calls us to his altar, but we're going to have the word also. And uh, the word washes us and cleanses us. And so we can't miss out on all those things. And we, and so many times you have believers who say, I like the music, but really I love the word. That's what I want. I just could have the word all the time. That's what I would take. And I always think about them. There's not a, probably a lot of joy in your walk with Christ. And there probably isn't a whole lot of power because you got to have, you got to have the goodness and you got to have the power and just being, just being nerdy about God's word. And I say that because I had been nerdy about God's word a lot in my life. Just being nerdy about God's word does not give me goodness and does not give me power. I have to be obedient to God's word to get the power. And I, there needs to be joy in my walk with God. There needs to be a song in my heart. David says, sing a new song. You know what? Each and every day, there seems to always be a song on my heart. And it's a different song that comes from, that. Come, and I'm humming it or singing it during the day and throughout. The, and the reason is because there ought to be some goodness of the Holy Spirit going on in me. And I can't get drunk with much wine and not have the word and not have the power. I need the oil. I need the wine. I need the water of the word. I need them all together. And when we do that, what happens? A lot of times bad things happen. And that's what we're going to talk about tomorrow. We're going to talk about the bad things that happen when a church gets too focused on one thing and doesn't focus properly on the other things that are of great importance in a church. And don't get me wrong, I'm not against wine at all. And I'm sure not against the power of the Holy during the worship time, because I love that. But there has to be a balance. There has to be a complete balance in our lives. And we have to have the full work of the Holy Spirit. We're not into having just the partial work of God. We want to have the full work of God going on in our lives. And the only way for there to be the full work of God going on in our lives is there has to be there has to be the goodness and the preciousness and the hope that comes from the wine, which is the worship, the worship that starts our service. There has to be the cleansing of God's a word that changes our hearts and our minds. It washes us and removes all the sin and the filth of our lives. And there has to be the power of God at work in our lives also. And that only comes from, and only comes from obedience, born of faith. And, and at the end, I will tell you, I, I really, if you said which one is most important as a pastor to see happen is the combination of the wine of the worship and the water coming in and people being obedient to God's truth and coming forward 
and being changed and going to the altar and saying to God, I hear you and I want to be changed by you. And if you said to me, what is the most precious moment of the worship service? It's when people's hearts are turned toward God and they faithfully, obediently come and say yes to him. And that's the powerful time in worship. That's where life happens. And I hope you would be hungering for the combination of the goodness of God and the word of God bringing about change in people's lives that is permanent and and powerful. It's powerful for them and it's powerful for us. And pray that that'll be the case for you today, that as you've been washed in the word, you might have a song on your heart and God might bring you to some faithful obedience to him in the day that you walk today. As you go today, I pray that the Lord will bless you and keep you, that he'll make his face to shine upon you and that he will give you hope and peace today in Jesus' name.